Joshua chapter 3 this, um, this morning, and um, I think uh, one of the things I'm going to miss most about Mrs. Watling is just her encouragement. You know, she was always here um, just as, as much as she could, and um, she was generally one of the first to, to head out and shake my hand. And no matter how, how well or how awful I went that morning, it was always, that was a wonderful message, all right? And so someone else has to do that for me now, but um, I'm going to look at Joshua chapter 3 this morning, Joshua chapter 3, and I'm going to give you a thought just as we prepare for our anniversary, and um, I hope you're the type of person this morning that... When you think about God's working and God's dealing in your life, that you do want God to truly work and truly do something in your life. I hope that's you this morning. I hope that as we consider the opportunity that we have lying before us next week, that we don't just sort of go through the motions of another year or another event that we're, we're trying to, to have, but that you truly would come to an understanding that God does truly want to work in us and through us. That, that's our mentality, that we don't approach another time like, like we do today or even tomorrow or even next week, uh, that we would have the attitude that we would just continue to seek the Lord and seek to do, uh, for Him to do something great in our midst. And, and here Joshua and the people were, were at the, really at the, at the gateway of entering into the promised land. They, were, they had already sent spies over to, to check out and, and really have some reconnaissance of the, the great city Jericho. And they're right now, right there at the, the banks of the River Jordan, and they could see, they could see the promised land. They could see what God was about to, to do, fulfill His promise to them. And yet here the... The, the reality of God's working and the reality of God doing something great in their midst was going to be um, given a prerequisite. And, and here we're going to look at this thought of, of before we see God work. Because I hope that's your attitude this morning. I hope, church, this morning as we think about next week, that we're not just turning up next week. We have the attitude that we want to see God do something great. We want to see God work. And here God mentions that to the, to the people. Look at Joshua chapter 3, look at verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. So, we, we spoke a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant last week. That, 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 that box made of acacia wood that was, that was laden with gold within and without that contained the tablets of stone, that contained the, the pot of manna, that contained the rod of Aaron there. That was going to go before them. And when they saw that, they were to move. So, so there's a great thought there, uh, even initially as we think about that, when God's presence moves, we ought to move also. And so he says there that, that when you see that, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. In verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. 
Come not near unto it, not that ye may know the way by which ye must go. So make sure you have space to see it, to view it, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And that's true practically. That was true literally for them. They had never been there before. They had never passed over Jordan before. They had journeyed in the wilderness for all those, uh, all those 40 years and they were there finally, but they'd never been here before. They'd never come to this point. And, and you know, I just thought about the fact that, that we're going to do something this coming week that really we've never done before. We have, but we haven't. We've asked and we've, we've gone beyond what we would normally do for our anniversary, but we're asking God for, to do something and to go... We're going to go away we've never been before. And look at verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, notice this, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And, and Joshua had the attitude that as they were entering into the promised land and into this new opportunity, Joshua understood that God was going to do wonders among them. Um, aren't you glad this morning that you have a God who can do wonders? Aren't you glad that you have a God that's so powerful that no matter how, how adverse a circumstance, no matter how impossible it seems to do this thing or to do that thing in your life, that God can do wonders among you. And I hope that you're glad for that. I hope that that's your mentality. I hope that you're not a, uh, you're not a naysayer this morning who, who has to look at everything with the view of pessimistic abandon. And yet, have the rea- forget that we have a real God who's really big, who can do wonders among us. And so Joshua had that attitude, and he was speaking to the people there about what they were to do before they were entering into the promised land. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, verse 6, and pass before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will... I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And that's a great promise. You know, as you think about the, the different generations that have now, have now expired and now are part and fabric of the, the nation of Israel, he understood that as Moses was with them, so God will be with them in that generation. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when ye are come to the brink of the water, Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. You know, the, the story, the, the waters part. And this great miracle happens, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit in chapter 4, what they did in the midst of all of that. But what, what God was trying to do is get the, the people ready. He was about to do something great in their midst. He was about to do something that, that even with their own eyes they would not believe. That, that's what a wonder is. And he was about to do something, but they had to do something first. They had to get to the point where they were going to do something. And, and, and you, you think about the context of this. The, the Jordan River, it, it's a significant place in the Bible. The Jordan River is 251 kilometers long. It, it, was, a, it was a thriving river. The, the state of Israel was on the border of the river to the west while Jordan lies to its east. In the Bible, it's a significant place. 180 times in, in the Old Testament and 15 times in the New Testament, it's mentioned. And, and so later on, we know in the history of the, the nation of Israel, this was going to be a significant place. This was going to be the place where later on, after this, we see in their history that 
that Elijah and Elisha crossed the rivers as well. God does miracles through them. They're right at that same place, right at that river Jordan. When another time that Naaman, a foreign general, would come and be healed, be dunked there seven times and be healed of his leprosy right there. We know later on that John the Baptist in his ministry did all of his baptisms right there at the river Jordan. And Jesus himself came down and was baptized right there. And so you understand that the Jordan River later on became a really significant place. But in the first place, it was a challenge. In the first place, it was an obstacle. And isn't that so often the case with us as as believers? So often when we look at those things that cause us some great trepidation, some, some great angst and anxiety, we look at that later on and if we follow God through it and we allow God to work in our lives even in those circumstances, Isn't it the case that they become significant times and places in our lives that we look back to, that we see as as a witness of God doing wonders? And again, as we think about this great picture, we really sometimes we tend to think that the Jordan River, the crossing of it, was a picture of salvation. We hear songs about that, dwelling in Beulah land. We hear uh, songs in regard to uh, being there at the, the banks of the stormy Jordan and and sometimes it's, it's like it's a picture of salvation. But, you know, this isn't really the case. See, the promised land isn't a picture of heaven. The, the promised land is a picture of the victorious Christian life. And, and what I'm saying is it's not just a faraway place for us here in our day. No, it's a place that we ought to be in. It's a place of, of victory that we ought to look to. But it's in that place that God is going to do a great work. And, and we know the other crossing that the nation of Israel had was through the Red Sea, and that would be a more accurate depiction and really a, a good picture of salvation because salvation requires no work. And remember what God said to them when they were about to cross the Red Sea. He said, stand still. He said, don't do a thing. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I want to say to you this morning that salvation here this morning through Christ is not earned. You don't have to do any. There's no prerequisite to it you just got to believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, uh, before we really get into our message, you know, the great work that God wants to do in you is the work of salvation. And guess what? It's done. It's completed. And for you, it's just an uh, an acceptance of the free gift of salvation, recognizing your need of a Savior. And I hope that that would be you this morning. That, that you would do, uh, that you would allow that work in your life to happen. But here now, as, as pictured here in this river crossing, we see the nation of Israel, really, we see a picture of us as believers. And God wants to do a great work, but there's some things that the nation of Israel and we need to firstly be responsible for. That we need to look to prior to seeing God work. And, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, we can have this expectation that God does everything. And we know He does, really, in the end. We know that even when we put our effort in and we put all of the work in, that it's still God. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that, that whoever plants and waters, it's God that gives the increase. We know that we have to co-labor with God. But sometimes there's an attitude that we take that, that God has to do everything. From the working to the blessing and And sometimes we take that attitude into our homes. Like, 
you know, we ask God to bless, but we don't follow His precepts. We don't follow all of His principles. We don't follow those things that really are our responsibility. We want God to do all of it, and then when nothing happens, we blame God and we forget we didn't take responsibility. We didn't take our place. And, and what I'm saying here is, is for God to really work, there needs to be really a partnership. There needs to be an understanding that we also have a responsibility. And, and you know, just thinking about our church anniversary coming up, that's the reason why we labored in inviting guests. Because really in the first place, a place to bring them there, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to be a witness. It's our responsibility to, to challenge those around us about the need and, and an opportunity to take that, uh, to, that, to take that communication to them. And, you know, even yesterday we were, uh, Malachi had a, had a friend's birthday party that we went to. And, um, and I don't know about you, but you know what I'm, I'm finding out? There's just so many birthday parties. All right? And some of you older parents are like, I'm so glad I'm done with that. But, you know, we're in the, right in the middle of that, and it just seems like every Saturday there's a birthday party. And so we went, and it was, a, it was a bowling one. But, you know, yesterday it was just another opportunity. We were around those who weren't, we weren't sure if they were saved or not. And my wife had the sense to invite the, um, the, uh, my, my son's uh, friend's parents to come along. And, and Lord willing, they're going to try to shift some things around and come next week. But you know what? Um, God allowed that, but we had to do the talking. We had to be the ones that were just proactive in doing that. And, and, and we're praying and asking for God to do a work, but we had to take part of the work. We had to take part. And, and here we are as a church, as we enter into another time, really, if you consider it, of service for Christ, we figuratively are at that Jordan River where there's an opportunity that beckons, but there's some things we must do. The opportunity of blessing and God's evident working is ahead of us. We can almost see the blessings and, the, and, and the, the working of God. We can see what can happen and potentially happen. But we've got to do something also. We've got to take part in the work. And so in the matter of the Christian life, it really takes us doing our part for God to do the work. And so we're going to see four principles here before we see God work. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord as we get into the message this morning. Father God, we just ask that you would please just do a work in our, in our midst this, today. And, and Father, even prior to this, I know many people have prayed. Many people have labored to get the property um, in the shape that it's in so we can be uh, undistracted and, and focus on the message. And, and Father, in all of that, it's because we want to see you work. We want to see you do a, do a work in our midst and so I pray that you'd please help us in that way. And, and I pray, Lord, that as we open your word, that you'd speak to us. You, you'd you'd uh, help us make application where it needs to be in our own lives. And we commit to you this time. We ask, Lord, for you to be glorified and be pleased. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And, and so in the first place, if we're going to see God work, we must expect to work if we want God to work for us. We've got to expect to work. And, and notice here as he goes through the, the, the conditions as he goes through some instruction to the people in verse 6. Notice there he says to the priests, take up the ark. Earlier on, he said that when you see the, the, um, the priests enter into the, the banks of the Jordan River with the ark of the covenant, 
He says, remove from your place and go after. Listen, they had things to carry. They had things to, to pick up and, and do in order for this to happen. And, and then later on, we see in verse 14 that indeed when it happened, the people removed from their tents. Later on in chapter 4, he instructs 12 men to take upon them some stones as a memorial, as a reminder of what God was going to do there and what God had just done. And all of this was work. All of this was labor. All of this was them getting involved in the work that God was about to do. And here, before we enter into a time where we're seeking God, and I hope that you have already sought God, that you must have a part in that. You must expect to work if you want God to work for you. See, God gave the people of Israel a part to play in the miracle. And you know, sometimes we have this attitude that, that you know, regardless of where, what part we play, it'll happen. Anyway, listen, how God works is that He works through people. And, and if you want God to work for you, then you've got to put in some work. See, you see, it's an understated privilege, isn't it, to labor for God. It's a good thing to labor for God. It's a good thing to to take part in His work. But the reality is that we not only labor for Him, we also labor with Him. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Aren't you glad that, that as we labor, that really we take that rest in Him, we take the yoke upon us, and we learn of Him. He's meek and lowly in heart. In fact, He, he took upon Himself the form of a servant. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And what, what Jesus Himself was demonstrating through His life was that he was willing to put in the work to get the work of God done. And as we get into a time where we're asking God, and I hope that you have been, I hope that you've been laboring in prayer as far as what those names on, those, on that list that you had invited them, I hope that you've done the work. I hope that you're ready to work and put in the labor that's required. So this being the case, we must set in order really the pattern that God lays for us. If we want God to do His part, we must play our part. Remember the, the, the verse in James chapter 4, verse 8. He says, draw nigh to God. What's the rest? And He will draw nigh to you. But who has to take the first step? We do. We've got to take the initiative. We've got to, in faith, respond and, and do the work. And, and by the way, next week as we think about the, the, the guests that will come, you know what we've done? We've just acted by faith. You know, we've, we've, we've labored, we labor in faith. We're asking by faith that God will do a work in the hearts of the people that will be there. We're asking that, that on that day, those who have perhaps heard or never heard the gospel, but have never accepted the, the call to salvation, will finally come to a realization and come to the place of salvation, of accepting Christ as their Savior. But we must expect to work if we want God to work. And really, in this sense, man's part is threefold. Firstly, he was to consecrate himself. Notice verse 5. He says there, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. You know, that word sanctification is, or to sanctify means to be set apart for a specific use. And all of us here, we ought to have an attitude that we are consecrated unto the Lord's work. You know, sometimes we have the attitude that only those in full-time ministry have the ability or have the right to labor for God. But listen, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're, uh, you're in full-time capacity as, a, as a, a Christian. Listen, 
We're all laborers for God. We're, we're all part of the team. We're all part of the, the, the body that ought to labor and we ought to expect to work. And, and that's part of consecration. He was to consecrate himself. And, and really the prerequisite to effective labor for God is to be set apart. Are you set apart? Have you approached today? You know, I walked in here earlier and, and there was a good number of you who were part of the small groups. I wonder for those of you who are small groups leaders, did you set yourself apart today for the master's use? For those of you who, who came and you served this morning in the morning tea, those Sunday school teachers, all of those, have you set yourself apart for the master's use? Our labor for God is better rewarded if we are to come before Him and set ourselves apart. And what that means is there's a readiness before we labor. Are we ready to labor? Have we come with clean hands? Have we come with a clean heart? Have you come prepared with your armor on? And the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be vessel un a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. And the way to be set apart is to ensure that we've come before him clean. Have you come and, and consecrated yourself? Those of you who played music, who sang, have you consecrated yourself for the master's use? You, you must expect to work if we want God to work. And we as God's people, we must present ourselves clean before a holy God. And our, our consecration always comes before our service. Have you set yourself apart? But then secondly, not only do we need to consecrate ourselves, secondly, in our work, we must carry a responsibility. What's your responsibility? See, the priests and the people and the chosen men, they all had to carry something. They all had a responsibility to bear. And can I say that each person here who's a who's part of this church, who's a born-again believer, you've got a responsibility before God. In fact, we are to fulfill that responsibility as unto the Lord. And maybe you're here and as part of your package of responsibility, you're a dad. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a member of a family and and maybe you, as part of that, you've got specific things in the church to do. And whatever the case is, that's your responsibility to carry. And next week, we've asked for those, uh, for those of you again to volunteer your time. And maybe, again, you just take the opportunity to take one Sunday. That's your commitment, next, just next week. And just get a taste of it. Can I just encourage you to just be prepared, consecrate yourself. But then carry out your responsibility as unto the Lord. You know, it's not unto me. It's not to impress me. It's not to impress those, those, uh, those uh, luminaries that might be there. It's not to impress the, the guests that we have. No. We always serve, not for the, uh, it'll be beneficial to others, but in the first place, as unto the Lord. We do it as unto the Lord. And we must learn and then grow in each of these roles and responsibilities as God's people. We have a role to fulfill. And so we must carry a responsibility. Then thirdly, we have to cooperate with others. As part of that expectation to work, not only do we need to consecrate ourselves and then carry out the responsibility and commit to that, but we've got to cooperate with others. You know, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. No one ever did anything great for God who just did it by himself. That's why God gave the local church. 
That's why God gave a church family. And that's why we're supposed to do it together. All the people had a work to do. They all had to work together. I love the, the story of Nehemiah who later on would, God would call to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and, and he was greatly used of God and he was not a preacher. He was a cupbearer. He was someone that got a burden. And I love the, the spirit of the people in Nehemiah's day who said, So built we the wall and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof for the people had a mind to work. They had singularity in their mindset to do the work, and what that took was great cooperation. And next week, and if we're going to see God do further great works in our midst, then it's going to take all of us cooperating. It's called unity. It's called, it's called unity, having a unity. It's cooperation, and this was not about any individual. It was for the progress of God's people doing God's work. And we must learn to prefer and honor one another if God is to do a work. And whatever your, your part to play next week, do it as part of the team. Do it as part of the family. Whatever you, you, your, your role is going forward, then do it to the best of your ability as you labor together in Christ, as we go together and cooperate with one another to further the work. You see, when we ask God to do His part, his part is the blessing. His part is the, the leadership leading us. His part is providing for the needs. We must expect then also to play our part. We've got to expect to work. We ought to have the mentality each and every week that we're going to be part of the work of God. You know, it, it's like our, uh, throughout the, the course of the last couple of months, we've asked some to volunteer their time to pray. And I hope that you've taken that seriously. But, you know, um, some, of, uh, some of us here this morning, your, your guests who you, your, you submitted their names have been prayed for a multitude of times and were seeking heaven to come and to, to, to speak to that heart of that one. And, and we're praying together. Why? Because God's work needs it. Because God's work, it, God wants to work and so we ought to expect to work. It's, it's like in any kind of service for God, we need to do the work through Him. You know, maybe you're here this, uh, this, this morning, you're saying, well, you know, beyond that, I want God to do some great things in my life. Maybe you have a calling to ministry. Listen, God never called anyone who was just doing nothing. You look through the Bible, you look at the ones that, that God did a work, you know, they weren't just sitting idly by they weren't just the ones that we would, in our, in our modern-day vernacular, were just pew sitters who would just take up a seat every Sunday. You know who God did a work through was those who were already laboring, those who were already working, those who were already going out and telling others, those who were already fulfilling the responsibility that God had for them. I'm speaking about guys like Gideon, like Elisha, like David, like Moses, who were busy. And listen, sometimes we have this attitude like we have to belong to a monastery in order for God to speak to us. Listen, get on your bike and get moving. Get working. And, and at times we, we sit still to listen to the voice of God. But that's not an excuse for idleness in the Christian life. That's not an excuse for laziness in the Christian life. And so if we're going to ask God to work, we must expect to work. And so let's work and toil so that God will do His work. 
And so in the first place, if we're going to see God work, we're going to expect to work. Secondly, notice this in verse 6. Notice Joshua chapter 3, uh, sorry, verse 8. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when you are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in Jordan. And notice what he says there. And the Lord said unto Joshua. So this plan wasn't Joshua's plan. This plan wasn't simply something he concocted in his own mind. No, it was something that God gave. It was God's plan. And so secondly, we're going to look at the, here, if we're going to see God work, we must employ ourselves really here to obeying God's plan. To obeying God's plan. And the Lord said unto Joshua. And God defines our part and, and really what comes next is our obedience. See, our obedience is necessary before the blessing. God didn't ask them to build a bridge. God didn't ask them to do anything else. He had a specific command. He had a specific plan. And too often we ask God to work in our lives and then the reality is we aren't obeying His voice. How's your obedience? How's your obedience to His voice? You know, so many times God would have so done something in their midst if it wasn't for the fact that they were disobedient. In Psalm 81, the Bible tells us that so often He could have subdued their enemies. He could have done this and that in their, the, the nation's life. But it says in verse 13 of that chapter, Oh, that my people had hearkened. And you know, sometimes we think about the lack of blessing or lack of satisfaction or lack of God's working in our lives, you've got to ask yourself, are you obedient? You know, in that work that God has called you to, are you obedient in that? You know, you could have all the desire to win people to Christ, but unless you open your mouth and do the work and obey in that, then people won't. It's not, it's, not, it's not destiny, church, this morning. God gave us a work, right? And so he's saying there that, that we need to employ ourselves to obeying God's plan. And so God would so readily guide. God would so readily provide. God would so quickly work in our lives if we would only obey His voice. And, and really, obedience is the path to providence. If you want God's providence in your life, then you ought to be someone that's obedient to His way. See, God's providence comes through obedience. The, the people had to obey in order for God to provide a way for them to cross. And, and make no, no doubt about it this morning, that was a challenge. All right, to cross that many people across a, a, a wide body of water that was teeming at the banks in that time, it wasn't going to be an easy task. In fact, it was going to be an impossible task. And yet, because of their obedience, God made a way. And so many times when we ask for the providence of God in our lives to perhaps remove a hindrance, perhaps to, to turn the tide in a certain situation in our lives, and we're, seeing, uh, we're, we're asking God and seeking God to do a great work in the first place, you need to examine in your own heart, are you obedient? Are you hearkening to the voice of God? You know, too many times we have an attitude toward God like He just has to do it regardless. And yet, He so often works through obedience. You know, we often go to, um, to different passages of Scripture that speak about God's blessing upon us. We see in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, 
that, that you know, we, we love the verse where it says, It shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. We love the verses that says that God will supply all our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And then we forget the condition of that was that we are to be givers ourselves first. That we are to give ourselves. That we are to fulfill that responsibility there in, in regarding that in Malachi chapter 3. The windows of heaven will open. We're not thieves. If we would do the, the, the thing that God has required, and that's giving of our tithes and offerings. And obedience is the path to providence. You know, too many times we wonder why it doesn't add up. It's because we're not doing what we're called to do. We've not obeyed. And so obedience is the path to providence. But then secondly, obedience really is the prerequisite for progress. See, obedience comes before we move forward. You make progress in the Christian life when you obey. You see, the, the Christian life isn't just a stationary event. It's an ever-moving event. But every step of the, the way is lighted by obedience to the Word of God. You know, some of us here have grown bored hearing that. Some of us here, you've, you've presumed you already know that. But I'll just tell you this, sometimes your life doesn't evidence it. You're going backwards. Your attitude towards the things of God manifests your countenance at times has grown hardened. And listen, if you're truly progressing and moving forward in the Christian life, then the prerequisite to that is obedience. It's obedience. You know, no man ever came to the, went to the field that God called him to without firstly obeying the call to go. The prerequisite, the thing that stands before progress is obedience. See, the nation of Israel, they had to obey to progress into the promised land. Into spiritual victory, they had to go through and have obedience. And you know, sometimes again, sometimes in our, in our uh, Christian lives, we wonder why there's no victory there, why there's no joy, there's no peace, why there's, there's nothing that seems to be fruitful in our lives. Listen, if that's the condition, you ought to look at the fact. You ought to ask yourself the question, am I obedient? Have I followed God's plan for my life? Am I following God's commands? And make no doubt about it, again, God does have commands. He does have commands this morning. There are some things we're supposed to be responsible for. God did reveal some things that we're supposed to follow. God did show us some things that we ought to obey. And sometimes in our hardened hearts, in our heart of unbelief, we'll just shoo it away like it's some annoying fly. And yet it's there that we find our blessing. You see, later on, we see that this needed to be a pattern. You understand that this wasn't in any kind of textbook as far as crossing a river. And just like later on when they faced Jericho, this wasn't going to be a textbook takeover of a city. And later on, God was going to ask them to do something again that was not in, in any kind of military textbook or exercise. This, that battle plan was never going to be uh, re repeated. This was a one-time deal. You, you know the story that we're going to have the army circle around the city of Jericho once every day in silence and then seven times. And then after that, after the seventh day, they would shout and the walls would fall down. 
And yet, all of that really, the absurdity of that wasn't the point. The point was, were they going to obey God regardless? And you know, sometimes God will ask us something that doesn't fit the bill. That's a bit bigger than we ever really thought. That's a bit more than we were prepared to do. And yet, it's obedience regardless. Are you that way? You know, sometimes we live in a society, isn't it, that's so against the, the, the values that we see in the Word of God. But we see a day that, that to, to murder an unborn child is just a debate in the halls of our politics. Isn't that a sad thing? And we see that today. We see that kind of, uh, th- those kind of morals today, and it, it just drives against the very nature of God. And yet God calls us to stand firm and go and swim upstream and go against the grain. And sometimes it's difficult to do that. But, you know, it requires this. It requires obedience. And listen, can I just say that as we go through, and if you've not taken part, then then employ yourselves to obeying God's plan. Employ yourselves to the work that God has called us to do as believers. And maybe this week you'll pray. Maybe this week you'll witness. Maybe this week you'll consecrate yourself. Maybe this week you'll you'll take courage and hand out an invitation. You'll take courage and speak to that one. You'll take some courage and and go out and and just be the kind of Christian that you should be. You'll be salt and light. And, And really in all of that, it doesn't take someone extraordinary. It just takes someone who's obedient. It just takes someone who will obey. And, and so secondly, we must employ ourselves. If, if we're going to see God work, we must expect to work. If we're going to see God work, we must employ ourselves to the obedience of the plan. But then thirdly, look at verse 13. Notice verse 13, And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. It'll be dry. And, and here's the, the third thing. We, we look to God to do the work. And here it is. We must not only expect to work, we must not only employ ourselves in obedience of the plan, we must thirdly entrust God to do only what He can do. You know, you know where, where sometimes people get frustrated about the plan of God? Because, because really they put the result of it up to them. You know, sometimes we, we look at our children and we want them to turn out a certain way. If you're a parent here this morning, you desire that the, your children would obey God, would follow God. And sometimes it's not always evident as you go through and, and you nurture them in the admonition of the Lord, you discipline them accordingly to the Bible. That doesn't always come to be immediately, does it? Does it? Okay, I guess I'm the only one that's not going through that right now. It doesn't always go to that. But you know, sometimes we get frustrated because we think we're supposed to yield results. But it's God that we need to trust. It's God that needs to change the heart. And uh, there's uh, things only God can do. There's things that as, as much as we desire it, as much as we labor, as much as we put ourselves to the work, it's only God can do that part. And we've got to entrust Him to do what He will do 
and what he can do. See, it was the Lord that did the miracle. It was the Lord that dried up the ground. It was the Lord that, that did that. And none of the people there could do what God did. Not in a million years would they uh, be able to just ensure that all of that was to take place. And, and yet God did it immediately. And here's what I'm saying. If we're going to see God work, we need to have a heart that leaves the results to God. You know, just to make sure you're doing what you ought to do. You see, the nation of Israel was a force, wasn't it? But notice, notice what the Bible tells us. Look at Psalm 114. Look at Psalm 114 this morning. And notice here, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back. So what caused that? Ye mountains, that ye skip like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. And notice as he asked the question, how did that happen? The only answer he can give was it was the presence of God. It was God that did that. You know, I, I've been part of some, some great things. We were part of TNS this, this year. I, I've, been in, I've been part of, of times where we, we prayed for something and, and something happened. I remember years ago when, when we prayed for this very property. And, and some of you who were there, you're still here. Praise God for that. But you were involved in the prayer and then the sacrifice of it. You were here when we eventually purchased Alice Street. You were here for that. But listen, all of that was not us. All of that God did. You know why? Because there was opposition. You remember, some of you would, would remember this, and maybe I could tell it to you now. When we were renting here from the Church of Christ, when we asked if we could purchase it, you know what the answer was? No. No. For several months, it was no. For, they, they weren't interested in selling. They weren't interested in us being here in the long term. They just, they, we were just giving them money. We were just hiring the place. But you know, God had other ideas, didn't He? And God turned their hearts and turned that around, and here we are 20-odd years later. You know why? Because God did that. Because the people of God put in the work to pray, but God did the work. We, we couldn't in all of our uh, convincing, in all of our rhetoric with the, the church of Christ that we're here meeting, none of us could have ever convinced them. But you know what God did? He moved them. Suddenly their diocese, or whatever they call it, said, oh no, we're going to purchase a different property and we're going to consolidate and yes, sell it. But the, the one that was here, the, the pastor who was here, would never have envisioned that. And in fact, that wasn't even our argument. But God had it planned all along. And God, God was able, we were able to trust Him in that. And listen, I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what it is, it is that frustrates you, that, that you're seeking God for. And, and, and can I just say this? Please don't fall for the temptation of trying to take care of it yourself. 
Because there's some things that only God can do. And maybe you're frustrated with a family situation. Maybe you're frustrated with a, a, a work situation. And, and really, when you come down to it, there's nothing you can do. Can I just say you can trust God? And we must entrust God with what only He can do. And next week, listen, church, we've invited, we've labored, and we'll continue to labor this week. I was speaking to our staff just this week, and we, I said, we're going to probably pull all-nighters. We will probably have to do some things that will be out of the norm, and we'll have to just extend our hours a little bit, and we're going to have to work and labor. We're going to have to adjust through the week and be flexible, and, and we've just got to do the work. And we're going to expect and ask God to send a good crowd there of lost, unsaved people who need to hear the gospel. But listen, we could come there and, and, and we could have a very polished presentation. We could arrive and, and have everything set and we could labor and I could preach the best message I had ever preached. But only God does the saving. And no argument of mine can really ever convince someone about their need of a Savior. It's got to be the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. And we've got to pray that way. And we've got to labor that way. And we've got to entrust God regardless of, of who we are and our lack or, or exorbitant in our ability, in our resource. It's never been about that for God. It's been about Him. It's been about His ability. It's been about the fact that God is able. I hope that you believe that this morning. We've got to entrust to God what only He can do. You see, Israel wasn't specially strong. In fact, the Bible says about them that He chose them because they were the littlest. They weren't great people. They weren't numerous. They weren't really a great multitude in comparison to everyone else. But you know what? They, were, they had a powerful God. And, and the reason they were able because God was with them. And again, 1 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter 3 says this, you know, Many times there are those who plant and water, but God gives the increase. And, and so maybe you're, you're frustrated about things. Maybe you're, you're seeking a calling and, and God's not allowed it yet. Listen, don't force the door. Don't force that open. And stop beating your head against the door. Because when God opens, He can open a door that no man can shut. And so we've got to look at that. And sometimes we worry about the results and we neglect to do what we are meant to do. We neglect. We're, we're so worried about what's going to happen and, and how's this going to happen. I think about the story in First Chronicles chapter 13 when they were finally got the ark back and they were transporting it. And what did God say? They were meant to put staves and carry that thing. And what did they do? They built a cart. And they were so worried about how they were going to do it, they forgot about the fact that God was going to, what God expected of them. And what I'm saying is, the end is God's business, not ours. See, we want God to bless our families. We want our children to be godly. We want them to have character. We want people to be saved. We want the church to continue forward. We want missions to happen. We want the world to be one. I hope that's you this morning. We want all of that from God, but you know, there's some things only God can do. We must entrust them with the result. See, we can get carried away with providing and, and, and planning and, and, and resourcing. 
we neglect that God, what, sometimes what God has entrusted us to do. Sometimes we ask for things and, and yet in, in our asking, in our worrying of that, we're neglecting the very thing that He's instructed us to do. And, and so next week as we think about that, we, we ask God to, for some things, but you know, we'll faithfully witness. We'll faithfully give the gospel, but I believe God will do the saving. And so we ought to pray. And then sometimes we focus on what we do and neglect that it's God that takes care of the results. And, you know, we can over-rely on our own strengths but leave God out of it. You know, Samson did that. Samson, the, the strongest man to probably ever live, he went about and he took his strength for granted. He was were there with Delilah. He finally revealed his secret. He was a Nazarite. He had the vow of the Nazarite and consecrated for that use. And Samson relied on his strength, and it, the Bible tells us he wist not that God, the Spirit of God, had departed. He shook himself as other times. He thought he still had the strength. And sometimes we forget that, and we neglect that it's God that takes care of the result. And sometimes preaching's that way. You know, if I'm honest with you, sometimes I, I over-worry. You know, next week I was, uh, it was chatting with my wife this week, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, what do I do next week? You know, I'm preaching for, it's our 25th, and I, I'm, I'm a bit that way. I get, I get a little bit self-reflective. And I'm like, oh, maybe I should have invited someone else. Maybe I should have, and, you know, putting the pressure on myself. And sometimes preaching can be that way. You know, sometimes preachers come up, and they just have to live up to their introduction. But the reality is this, you know, even in preaching, God does the work. It doesn't matter. I, I, if I'm a faithful herald like I should be of the Word of God, then, then whatever God wants to do in your heart, that's God's business, not mine. It's not about me. It's not about the fact that, that you know, it's not even the hours of study. It's not even the, being sensitive to the Spirit of God. It's still God that will take care of the results. And that's why, really, a church is not a corporation. It's not methods that God blesses. It's not programs that God magnifies. It's not resources that we need to invest in. But it's His name and it's His word that we must lift up. And we must labor knowing that God will bless in His way. And He will increase according to His plan. And we must trust Him through our labors for Him. And someone once said this, we must labor like, like it's all up to us and pray like it's all up to God. And if we go forward, if we are to go forward as a church, we've got to play our part and ask God to do His part. And here's what I want to say, church. Leave the results to Him. And so this morning, as we think about that, really what we're doing is laying out a pattern. And as we, as we think about 25 years, there's been a pattern set. There have been those who have labored. There have been those who have entrusted there have been those who have employed themselves to the obedience of Christ, and yet here we are again. A, a, a reminder. And, you know, later on he's going to put some stones there as a reminder. And what he wanted was to evoke the next generation to do the same. And listen, really in all the grand scheme of things, this is really another generation of this church. You know, many of you weren't here. Many of you weren't here when this hall was being set up every Saturday. And by that I mean our walls were pink. 
I make this face because it was pink. We had peach-colored chairs. We had brown, brown carpet. Some of you who are like a bit more artsy than me are already gagging inside uh, from all the clashes of that. People, some of us here would, would come, turn up on a Saturday, and we'd set up every Saturday and pack up every Sunday. And then later on, those of you who sacrificed financially, prayerfully, so that this building can be bought, you know, it wasn't a monument to you. It was a reminder, and it was, an, it was us to be evoked about the work of God continuing. And listen, let's have that attitude as we enter into 25 years Really, next week, we're praying for God to do some things. And I pray it'll be a, a significant time in the life of the church. I pray that, that God, again, as He has always done, proves Himself. And we can look back at our Jordan River moment, and we can look back at the, maybe the stones of remembrance, and we can say, God did that. God did that. Remember that anniversary when that person got saved? Remember when they came and we had prayed all these years and they finally came and they got saved that day? Listen, if we're going to see God work, we need to expect to work. And so maybe this week we labor and we labor in prayer. We labor inviting more. Uh, Brother EJ mentioned there's a couple more invitations at the back. Maybe you labor with a phone call and say, hey, just calling to see if you're coming. And then we just expect ourselves, to employ ourselves to the work and labor in that plan, and, and yet, again, we entrust God with the results. And maybe this week we would just give ourselves to God, consecrate ourselves to the Master's use, and let's just trust God for something great that only He can do. So let's pray. We'll ask the Lord as we head out today. Father in heaven, thank you again. Lord, for the opportunity this morning to open your word. Lord, as we've done tens and thousands of times. Lord, we seek you once again. Lord, we just celebrate and thank you for 25 years of your faithfulness. But in that, dear God, as we saw you work, there were those who did in their in faith labored in faith obeyed your plan, and in faith entrusted you with what was to come. And Father, I pray that we would just settle in our own hearts. Lord, our responsibility and then your response. And we trust you, dear God, and ask that you would do that. And I'm not sure, Lord God, what everyone else is, is, is sensing this morning. I'm not sure what they're going through. I wonder... This morning, dear God, if there's anyone who's, who's asking for something, some working in their lives from you, I pray that you'd help them to play their part so that you can, we can see you do your part. I pray, dear God, Lord, Lord, that you would help even those who are unsaved this morning. They have no part to play except to believe, except to turn to you for salvation. And so I pray that you'd help them this morning. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around.